you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you believe in life after addiction? You better believe it. Now, the host of Life After Addiction. All right, I'm Adam Comer, and I have Bruce Stanley with me, and you've made it to episode three of Life After Addiction. Today, we're going to talk about how did we get into this mess, talking about the addiction epidemic or the opioid epidemic, if you will. And then we're also going to talk about dun-dun-dun, politics of recovery. It's going to get juicy. Bruce, start us off, my brother. Well, to see how do we get in this mess, man, <laughs> there's a laundry list of stuff. Uh, and you know where I'm always going to go with it. It's a hard issue. But let's be like, I guess, critical about some things that um, what I would say are cultural. Basically, we're conditioned to feel a certain way yeah. and therefore we have an expectation on that. And that is that I can change the way I feel because it's all about me and what I want to do and, more importantly, uh, how I'm supposed to feel happy. I'm supposed to feel good all the time. Yeah. And those things are circumstantial, and we have a lot of things in this world that condition us to, to believe that we can change that at any minute. And, um, you know, I think even from advertising, we're, we're, we're led to believe that uh, – you know, the only reason why I'm not feeling happy is because I'm not doing something uh, yeah. to change that. And so here comes the the idea of, well, I can take this pill and I don't have to feel sad. I can I can do this thing and therefore I'm going to be more happy. I can acquire this thing. I can buy this thing and then I'll be able to make my life easier. And so I think especially in America, we're conditioned to, to already feel like that. So without even maybe even knowing it, uh, we have these expectations already in our head about how we approach things. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think I think advertising, that's an interesting point just because it's, it's a pretty big business of advertising with commercials and TV. Uh, and it's really it's really just telling us why our life isn't good <laughs> yeah. or how we could do this faster. How could we, we can enjoy this better? How And so there's just this lack of contentment, mm -hmm. uh, lack of joy, mm -hmm. because there's always something that we need to be doing. Yeah. And I, I've got a little experience in that. In fact, my career for 25 <laughs> years was advertising. You heathen. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not trying to like sit here and say, man, you know, all these things are evil and, and, right. you know, we have to look at them that way. It's just how we, how we receive it and whether we know the truth behind it and, and then be able to walk away understanding that. So my job for 25 years was, uh, on the art side. So the creative side of advertising. And so I had to come up with concepts that would basically convince somebody that they needed something or they wanted something or their life was missing something. And, uh, and lo and behold, the product that I was selling was the solution. You know, it was the answer to all of that. And so, uh, there were a bunch of creative ways, including language and the study of insights that come from demographics and really being able to, to pick somebody's, you know, somebody apart and say, well, this is what I know they'll respond to because of this and because of that. And then I just speak right to it. And then the hope is, uh, and it's, it's interesting, the formulas that are used, that it's not just a kind of a guessing game, that it's really gotten more 
structured that I can I can pretty much guarantee you that I'm gonna I'm gonna get this many people to respond in this way. And huh. wow, uh, I think if most people really understood what was all behind that, they would <laughs> they'd be a little frightened. But sure. uh, wow, uh, but I would say in, in culture because of just not just because of that, but other things that we're led to believe. I mean, even our own constitution, what is the right to pursuit of happiness? You know. Mm. I think when we understand that happiness is circumstantial, right? That in the in the moment, if if the circumstance is happy, then I'm happy. But if the moment's not happy, happy, then I'm not going to be happy. And I think we said this in the last episode: is the expectation that I should be happy all the time, and when I'm not, there's something wrong, and I need to fix it. Right? Is that God calls us to a promise of joy that in any circumstance I, I have hope, uh, but not because the circumstance is. Um, is going to make me happy. There are going to be trials and things that we go through as every human being on this planet that just, uh, we're gonna have to struggle through. Yeah. I, I think, I think too, just to kind of recap what we said, uh, one of the things we said in, in episode two, uh, about the problem and it being the heart, I think that obviously that plays over into how do we get in this mess and the heart, but we don't need to repeat those, those things necessarily, but, uh, so there's definitely a factor, but how did we get into this mess? Also culturally, cultural, what's that word, Bruce? Culturally. Thank you. Uh, it, it's this, not only be happy, but this, this, and this is going to roll into the politics of it as well, but pain, I don't need to feel pain. And, and I told you, you know, I injured my back and, you know, it was self-prescribed and <laughs> street pharmacy, uh, pain medication, but man, it very easily just could have been ibuprofen, you know, and I'm not saying there's not a need for these things. Of course there's a need for these things, but I also have experience of on this t- side of life. I've, I've had surgery. They send you home with pain medication. And because I'm aware of what that can do and about the kind of dangers that that could be, man, I, I, I took it as prescribed. And then I was aware that, Hey, you know, I, I don't have that kind of pain. Now I could probably move the ibuprofen, mm-hmm. but in this mess, kind of getting into the politics side of it, which we'll get into a little deeper in a minute, but overprescribing. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I hear stories now of people going to get a a tooth filled and a oh. prescribed oxycotton, and it's just like, are you kidding me? It's like that stuff is is designed to lay a horse down. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And it's like I'm getting a a, a filling in my tooth. And it's, so obviously there's that going on. Yeah, it's like a it's like a, one or two molecules off of heroin, you know? And and so if, why are we, of course we're in this mess. We're over prescribing people for pain and it's it's highly addictive drugs, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, in, in, in good faith that there's a lot of cracking down on that now. Doctors are a lot more reliable, uh, accountable. Uh, pharmacies and things like that. There's a lot more boundaries in place. Um, but I mean, good night. That, that just the prescription, even, even, uh, and, and listen, guys, Bruce and I are not anti medication. Trust me, we're not. The, medication and science and doctors and medical field, it's all the grace of God. We, we're thankful for it. But it's when people are, are, Getting rich off of of things, and here we go into the politics, man. <laughs> uh, it is a big business, isn't it? It is big business, and I mean, even in the, the the business of recovery, it's big business. People are making tons of money tons. off the suffering of people struggling, and it's just it's just sad, really. And 
I think where we want to go with in this politics thing is the status quo and things that are working versus things that are not working and, and where are the funds going to and how can we, um, you know, advocate for change in that as, uh, really what I would like to focus on the politics stuff. Cause I mean, we can get into the minutiae of, yeah, th- there's more accountability on the medical side of stuff, but there's still no clear action. Mm. So nobody's getting prosecuted and we see, you know, tons of that stuff. So, or it's a heavy fine that a, a pharmaceutical company just laughs at. And, and so they just continue to keep doing business as they do. But I think that's for maybe another whole show in general. But what I would like to focus on is just the politics of, you know, the recovery industry itself and mm. what's working, what's not working and what seems to be fed the most and why, especially when it's just not working. And typically we see in the, the recovery industry uh, programming that's based around, I mean, let's just put it out there. It's a 12-step mentality. Yeah, AA uh, and A. AA and NA, which NA is, a is you know, formed out of the, the AA mentality. And so are all these other ones, CA and like, I mean, you just name it. And so the idea of being anonymous uh, and how you recover in that, how do you recover in that has just been the thing that's been the go-to thing forever mm. since, uh, I mean, since the book was introduced. Anonymous. Yeah. Uh, back in the 1950s or 40s, I think it was. But And so we see court systems now that are all wrapped around that. We see the insurance companies wrapped around all that. We see the government supporting these things. And so even down to the mandate of 30 days, and that's what an insurance company will pay or – uh, these programs that will use only a 12-step or derivative from it. Uh, and when we clearly see for decades, for decades, the money that was been, has been thrown at that. Now, a person from AA would be the first one to say, hey, look, we're self-supporting. We don't receive funds from anything. But at the same time, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes in terms of how these things are supported and introduced. And when you go right now to to search online for a recovery all you're going to see is 12-step program. Mm. So there's a lot that goes on behind how these things are continued to be the go-to thing and where you go to find even lists. Like So I remember when I tried to start a recovery meeting on this Christian programming yeah, stuff, this yeah. book that I did, and I struggled to try to get on these lists. And they were like, man, unless you're a 12-step program or this type of thing that has some validity to it, we're, we're not putting you on a list. And so all you see on there when you go to look for these things are, uh, you know, based on these types of uh, formulas. And yeah. And, and that's also interesting because it kind of hinted to something uh, about um, you've got to have these kind of w- methods of recovery to be on the list. Ma- basically, mean, and then you got insurance. Insurance isn't going to pay for a. Uh, insurance isn't going to pay for our program. No. Uh, but why? Because not not because we don't have twelve steps and do that necessarily, but because we don't have the doctors and the farm, yeah. you know the medical aspect of it. And so that the reason that he couldn't get on the list is because he's not proven. It's not a proven method, and that's the problem that a lot of faith based. Christian addiction recovery places are running into. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why we're doing this. We're getting the message out because there is no funding. And so if you're solely relying on donors or tuition to be paid, a drug addict doesn't have a savings account. No. You know? And then you're relying on donations. Man, there's so many awesome causes out there in the world. And Someone going through an addiction. If we're just going to be real, that's probably low on the on the totem pole. Yeah, there's they, a stigma. Yeah, he did it to himself. To that, yeah. You know, 
And so, so it's like this cycle that we're in and you're expecting these uh, results to be had, um, at, which takes documentation. And that's something that we're diving into, man. Yeah. We're, we're, we're tackling this head first because we're, we're going to play the game. We're going to play by your rules because we know it's working. Mm-hmm. It's working. And then what's funny, though, is that when they see the results, when they see what's working, they then want to say, what, oh, what you're doing, man, that's actual – that's actually some sort of cognitive or something kind of behavior. Yeah. And we'll put a label on it. And so it is proven. But yet you aren't licensed to do that. So we're still not going to get it. Right. Money. Exactly. Like, are you kidding or what, me? Or what else is more prominent that happens is that, you know, when you're trying to apply for these grants, there comes uh, some attachments to it, which is, well, if we're going to give you this money, then you have to be able to do these things because then it's not fair or you're discriminatory or you're not practicing medical standards and right. this kind of thing. And so, man, even though our facility is HIPAA compliant, I mean, we're still a Christian organization. So if, if, if acquiring a grant to get money to help our organization means that I can't speak the biblical truth about things because I have to water it down to make sure that this person feels like they're not offended or that person feels like they're offended and uh, then it's just not going to work, you know? And and that's something, I mean, we don't, don't want to spend so much time talking about money, but, but the thing is, is that we're passionate about it because man, it takes money to keep the lights on. This is what Bruce, myself and eight other guys do full time because that's what it takes. And, And a lot of times, if you look at other Christian uh, facilities, they're doing incredible work, but they can't afford to pay staff. They got to rely on volunteers. They got to rely on, uh, donations and food donations and stuff like that. And so you're already up against like the, the curve. And I think God has blessed us to, to really go through that over the last decade that we've been a ministry. Yeah, and, and we can sit here and get on the bandwagon about, uh, politics of government and these other things that we see that aren't fair, but man, let's just start at home. Like the church is not doing enough. Yeah. The church is simply just not doing enough. It, when you, when you see broken people, I mean, it's the church's job to reach out to these people, to support these types of initiatives, to bring healing to uh, a brokenness. And I mean, I'm just going to say like for the guy who handles all the finances in our ministry, the majority of our donations and the things that we get for funding do not come from the church. Yeah, they come from private individuals of families who we've helped, who their son's still doing incredible and they want to partner with us. And and, and here's the thing, this isn't a bash against the church. It's just something that I've studied and in, in, in getting a degree in religion and church history is it was never the government's job to take care of the body of Christ. It was always the church, and the the government was coming to the church for help. And mm-hmm. and, and it, it would be so. It's interesting, and it's not good. Interesting, but it, it's with the man, the epidemic that's happening. Mm-hmm. Eyes are beginning to be open, and and the church is beginning to want to know how to get involved because they don't even know how to get involved right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something that's been so. Hush, 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 hush. Ooh, that's a, that's a shame. You don't know. You don't talk about addictions here. But they're beginning to open their eyes, open their hearts. And I say they, that's we. We are the church. Yeah. Uh, beginning and asking good questions. We've had some good meetings with some church. We had a meeting this morning, uh, Bruce and I did with a church, and they're asking good questions about how they can help. And we're hopeful that they will. And so it was really, really cool. Yeah. But I mean, back on the subject of the politics and the industry, it, it's alarming how much money is spent for a person's stay at a recovery center. Mm. 
that's being paid by insurance. And I think people just disregard it because they're they're not actually feeling the the pain from that because it's insurance is paying off. But I can tell you, I've been to some recovery um, centers where it was forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars for a thirty day stay. Mm. Unbelievable. And most insurance companies will pay for this twice in a when really it, it doesn't take that much. And it, it's just over padded, you know, uh, fees that, you know, just there's that whole part of it that, you know, people are taking advantage of these situations. And so therefore the money that's being spent and where it's going is, is really unfair. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. And, and something interesting about uh, the different places that Bruce and I've been to, I, I remember going to a place where it was $30,000 a month. Well, then about your third weekend, you, you know, you get a call. I did. This is me. I'm not saying this happens for everyone. And I, and I had really good insurance at the time. I got called into the financial department, sat down and said, Hey, your insurance has stopped uh, paying. We're going to allow you to stay, uh, but you're going to have to come out of pocket for five, six, seven grand. Um, and if you can't afford it, don't worry. We'll just, we'll just, put it on your, we'll just bill you, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is great for the credit. Or you can leave. Yeah. Or you can leave. And so, and so that's our mark. And I guess a deductible and things like that, our mark is probably at the cost of a deductible of something like this. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, again, we have 10 full-time staff members. We have uh 24 seven coverage. We provide all the food. We have a facility. We go and do things. We're, we're not just, uh, we're, so we're doing things, and, and so that's that's interesting. And, and I don't know the politics of it gets us fired up because anytime um, I don't know money yeah. and profit and all this stuff, all this stuff happens. It's it's it just involves that. But I, I guess what I wanted to say was, you know, getting into the hypocrisy of what we're expecting from our government. And, and it, again, it's not like we ultimately want them to be the the solution. No, yeah, yeah. Wow. But it, but it, but they do cause either a, a helpful component to it or a or a hinder to how these things happen within our industry and helping people in recovery. And it's just um, there is a hypocrisy to it. I, I have been personally involved with. Uh, the Tennessee Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse, and they have a faith-based initiative. It's all, the only one in all 50 states. Wow. And it was a volunteer thing. It's like Tennessee said, hey, we'll be willing to do that. And I don't even think it was their voice was louder than any other states, but the government was looking for states. And they, I think, initially started with Texas and Tennessee and maybe one other state. I can't remember if it was Alabama. But because of the per capita churches that were at the, in, in the population of these states, and they felt it could be most effective, and they wanted to use them as, I guess, uh, satellites to see if mm. if how effective it could be. But what ended up happening was Tennessee was the only one. And so they started this initiative where the, the government – I mean, I've talked to senators, and this came from the White House down where it says, look, we're no longer going to – abide by the separation of church and state, we're going to now say we want to support them. Now they're not giving money, but what they are is providing resources and these lists that you can get on and how they're going to rally 
churches around yeah. the, the state and certify people as recovery specialists to equip them to be able to speak to addicts yeah. and, and how they can help them recover. And this doesn't take a college degree or a medical license. It's one week that the, that the government like sits you down in a class and teaches you how to deal with these things. And they certify you. And they yeah. certify you, yeah. And, so, and you know, man, that, now that you've said that, Bruce, that kind of makes me think, because I did just say, you know what, it, it is starting to feel like the church is starting to ask the right questions and mm-hmm. kind of wanting to be involved. And I, I related it to just maybe it's the massive amount of deaths. But it also might just be because we are in Tennessee, and this effort is going out and kind of trying to bridge that gap mm-hmm. to the faith. Now, it, it's definitely government and so it's faith-based initiative, so it's not a Christian yeah. worldview. So they're going to have many different faiths, but he's but it's doing something. It's it's when we meet in different counties. Bruce and I have traveled to many different counties, all the way three and a half hours away at times, just to go and speak, be on this panel. Uh, and, and so I think some eyes are being opened, and so that that initiative is doing a really really good job. Yeah, and I agree. And I'm I'm not trying to say that these things aren't effective in, in, in our stance here of the politics of the industry. But, but what I am saying is, how can you do those things as a government? And at the same time, the hypocrisy is, okay, well, we're going to make these initiatives. We're going to see firsthand how they're working. We're going to support these things, and we want it to grow. And at the same time, you, you're just status quo on the other things that you do concerning addiction. Mm. And, and it just makes no sense to me that if you're going to – from the White House down, like appoint these things to it's go into point. action, and at the same time you're going to see the effectiveness of it and rally behind it. But then you're going to go, oh, when it comes to funding and when it comes to these other things, we're just going to stay status quo while we were. Yeah, so that's the time that we have to discuss the politics and how do we get in this mess. Next episode, to download it, tune in. We're going to talk about why it doesn't work and what does work. But we're going to end this with a question. Uh, this is from Rebecca from Knoxville, Tennessee. What are some things family and other support people can do when a loved one is in recovery to let him or her know that he or she is very loved? How can the addict be helped to understand that not enabling them is not turning their backs on him or her? Uh, and I'll just, man, I'll take a stab and kind of reverse order there. Um, uh, it's going to be very hard to help them understand, you know, mm. or make them understand or anything like that. Yeah, nobody likes change. Yeah, and especially to, to feel loved and to feel these things. And so there, there is an element of families um, having to do some things that are so hard um, and not enabling. And, and the hope is, is that this person's restored, this person um, is no longer walking in addiction, they're set free from that. And then we'll look back on this time and say, wow, they love me. But while they're going through it, I would say do not have expectations of them understanding why you cut them off, why you kick them out, why you no longer give them money. They're just not going to understand that. Yeah, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel painful for that person. Yeah. I mean, the the fact that it's not fair is one part part that we have to like look at and and being compassionate towards the family member who's trying not to enable somebody. It's like when you tell somebody that you aren't going to do something that you you typically have done in the past for them, there's going to be some rebellion there. And 
you're going to feel the brunt of it. They're going to yell at you. They're going to scream at you. They're going to tell you that you don't love them. And, and they're going to oh, know the things, too, that's going to push the certain buttons yeah. to get their And reaction. it's going to make you feel awful as a, as a parent or a friend or a loved one who's, who typically has been supporting them because you care. I mean, it's the whole reason why you're doing it. And you, you're just not going to get the reciprocation for that type of tough love from that person. But like you said, Adam, I mean, hope, hopefully what ends up happening is through these these new actions of uh, not enabling them any longer that they, they would recover and they would look back upon those days and say, wow, you really loved me uh, more than I could love you at that time. And I think God gives us a perfect picture of this because this is the way our father grows us and matures us. He's not going to enable us. Mm. You know, God says, look, I will not be mocked. Uh, but his love for us goes beyond anything that we can imagine. Some of that love that we can't understand is 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 hard love, meaning he's going to create circumstances where I'm going to need him. I'm going to have to reach out to to get help that I normally wouldn't get to help. I'm going to have to be honest with some things. I'm going to have to have some confession of some things, of behavior that I just was in denial about before until I got pushed into this circumstance where I had to see it for what it really was. And that's exactly what those who are taking a stand saying, look, I'm not going to enable you in these, these ways anymore. I'm going to do this. That's the kind of love that we're actually exemplifying in the same way God does towards us. Yeah. And I think just real quick, as we close out here, the answer, the first part of the question, um, how can we, someone that's, that's, Loves the person in recovery, supports the person in recovery. How can we make them feel loved? And I would, I would just say, tell them, uh, write them a letter. Uh, if they're at a program somewhere, write them a letter. Say they, you love them. If they get a chance to talk to you on the phone, make sure you know they know you love them. Even if they're going to try to get you to get, come and pick them up and tell you how awful the place is that they're at and all this manipulation, stand firm, but tell them you love them mm-hmm. and you're praying for them. That's all the time we have. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you check out the next week's episode. All right. Be good. Life after addiction. Life after addiction. Life After Addiction is a production of S2L Recovery. If you have any questions you'd like answered on the podcast, email them to info at springtolife.net. That's info at spring, the number two, life.net. And for more information on addiction recovery, visit s2lrecovery.org. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.